Amen. As you can tell, we had a really great time at our fall retreat, and uh, most importantly, uh, Jesus was there, and uh, we had several students that uh, drew closer to him in their faith. Uh, we had seven rededications, one kid that said yes to Jesus for the very first time, and we'll be hearing more about that as the weeks go on. Hey, stand with us as we uh, open in worship. Revive us again. Sing along. Sunset Hills Baptist Church. How are we all doing this morning? We had a good group this morning of kids, and we just had a good time talking about the Lord, and that's why we're here, amen, to have good conversation and praise our Father, and we ask for a revival. Uh, if this is your first time here at Sunset Hills Baptist Church, we are so honored by your presence, and we'd love to get to know you more. You have a phone. If you have a phone, you can text hi to our number right up there on the screen, or we'd love to just meet you personally. And so after service this morning... If this is your first time, we'd love for you to stop by our welcome desk so we can talk to you and get to know you more and uh, find out some information on how to serve you. Uh, it's a beautiful day out today, isn't it? Had, a, had an hour more of light this morning. We won't talk about the 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 6 o'clock darkness. It's, we know it's coming because we're going to focus on life and we're going to focus on light today. The light of Christ. Amen. Amen. If you're joining us on our live stream, we're so happy that you are with us this morning uh, on the internet, whether you're in Canada or Africa or wherever you're at here in Nolensville. Uh, we hope that you are encouraged this morning and you hear an encouraging word from the Lord. Worship team, continue to lead us. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, precious of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. For this is my story, this is my song, 
praising my Savior all day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. For this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I am my Savior and happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with His goodness, lost in His love. Yes, this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all day long. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I rest on His unchanging grace In every high and stormy gale My anchor holds within the veil On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand When He shall come
take that for granted that God we get to do community with the Holy Spirit God we're looking forward to the day that you return to call your children home that God we can spend eternity with you singing your praises forevermore but God I know that your plan is until then that God we are on mission here that God there's a lot of folks that need to hear the the hope and the love and the, the grace and God, all the amazing attributes, God, that you give us as gifts, Lord. God, we don't deserve those things, but God, we're so grateful for them this morning. Or as Pastor Steve leads this morning in the spoken word, God, we just thank you, God, that we live in a place, God, that we can freely lift your name up, God, and let us Again, let us never take that for granted, God, that we are free to worship you. God, there's so many places in this world that, that people put their lives on the line, Lord, just to lift up the name of Jesus. And God, we can do it freely, and so many times, God, we choose not to. But God, today, let us choose to lift up your name. God, let everything that we do glorify you and, and add to your kingdom. We love you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning.
I was very, very ill. Suzanne was fighting COVID also. So Lacey came downstairs and said, is he any better? And Suzanne goes, no, he's, he's, he's not. And she goes, he's dying. We've got to do something. So she said, well, I, Suzanne said, well, I've been sitting here thinking, where, where could we take him? And she said, we need to take him to, to Vanderbilt. So Douglas and Lacey got me into the car and they drove me to Vanderbilt. And um, there was things that I were doing on the way that they said I did. I tried to open the door going down the interstate at 65, 70 mile an hour. I was thirsting to death. I was asking for water and I would drink the water without the cap off of it and then when Douglas would unzip the cap or untake the cap off I'd just pour it all over me and wouldn't even drink it so that's uh, but when I got to Vanderbilt that's when they started and said we're rushing him up to ICU uh, he has we think he has diabetic ketoacidosis it was just a perfect storm is what the doctor said and the doctor to my knowledge told Suzanne that you know if he doesn't respond to this treatment he may not make it through the night. Numbers, Vanderbilt said that my they have never seen a diabetic have numbers that high. My A1C was 20 when I got there. And I looked at things totally different. Um, as I was in the ICU, about the third day, I pretty much knew what was going on. And um, I asked myself why. And um, why did this happen to me? I was there for ICU for five days. Uh, they took me out of ICU. They treated me for the diabetic ketoacidosis, but uh, I was, I, I almost didn't make it. I would say that I was living religion instead of following. A little bit before I got sick, I would say, number one, I would put my job first, and I did. I'm, I, I'm not bragging, but I'm very successful with my job because I, I, I live, drink, and, and sleep it daily. But I think God opened my eyes when this happened because I laid there in the bed in ICU and I, may, I told myself, if you die, that company's not going to stop doing what they're doing. They're still going to go on without you. If you die and they bury you, two weeks later, they're not really gonna know who you were. Oh, he was a good guy. So I think now that I have my priorities straight, I got the Lord and my family, and then what comes after that, it's, it's changed my daily walk with the Lord. You know, I used to worry about everything that happens. Now, if I have no control over it, I just let it go. If God can bring me from the jaws of death, like he did back in January, then he can heal me from the worry. I need to say amen more. I need to praise him more. I need to acknowledge him more. I need to read that Bible more. I'm gonna fail daily, but God's there to, to forgive me for if, if I get off the, the straight and narrow. I don't have fear as I did before to die. Because I know I'm going to I'm going to be with the Lord. 
when He calls me, when it's my time, I'm going to be with I'm going to be with the Lord. I know you were two days or three days out of surgery when all this happened, and Suzanne said that you called her and you you had a prayer for myself and her and Douglas and Lacey, and that meant a lot to us. This church means a lot to us. You know, so I'm very blessed. My family's blessed. I have two great kids. I have a great wife. We've been together, we've celebrated 31 years on Wednesday. And the reason that I'm blessed and we've made it is because we put God in our lives. I tell a lot of people, I have a testimony that I tell, you know, at my job, anywhere I can, I can talk, that Vanderbilt saved me, but the Lord saved me before. The Lord helped Vanderbilt to save me. I love how God took a <clears throat> very scary time in the Ford family, especially with Kent's life, and used it in such a powerful way for his story. Kent and Suzanne are here this morning. Let's just express our appreciation to the Lord for bringing him through that COVID. There is no doubt, had it not been for God's divine intervention and miraculous power, Kent and Suzanne would not have celebrated that 31st anniversary. There's no question about that. We would not be here today. We all have a collection of stories that make up our bigger life story. Yours will probably look much different from anyone else's in this room because we all have our own uniqueness and personalized uh, life depending on the circumstances that have come up during our lives, which, by the way, are never a surprise to God. God is never surprised at what's going on in your life or mine. And all of our stories are unique, and all of our stories have the potential of touching someone else's life. Can we all agree on that? We have a potential of touching someone's life, maybe even multiple people that come in our paths throughout our life. And while all of our stories are different, if you are a believer, we all have this in common, that Jesus is a part of your story. And he came to set the sinner free from sin and give us an inheritance into the kingdom of God. And all of us that are believers, we have that in common. It's our shared story. And that's the reason we could sing earlier, if you were participating in that, this is my story, this is my song, what? Praising my Savior all the day long. I pray that you could sing that song truthfully and have it something that's been a part of your story. We're on the second week of a series, and the title of my sermon today is called Nobody is a Nobody, right? Nobody is a Nobody. I'm not sure that that's good grammar or not, but I don't really care. It's my title. I can do with it what I want to, right? So nobody is a nobody. Can you look at the person next to you and say, you are not a nobody? Be honest when you do that, please, all right? We may think we don't have much of a story to share, that I'm just a nobody. That might be your thinking. 
But God often uses people in ways that they may think that they won't make much of a difference. But God has other plans, and in fact, they themselves have had a great impact on others. Take, for instance, a man of years past by the name of Mr. Edward Kimball. Mr. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher at the Mount Vernon Congregational Church in Boston in 1855. He was there longer than that, but the instance I'm going to refer to, he was there teaching his class faithfully in the year 1855. One day, Mr. Kimball went to visit a shoe store, the Holton Shoe Store there in Boston, and he found a young man in the back who had been attending his Sunday school class. The young man was uh, from a rather large but poor family of Northfield, Massachusetts. His father, this young man's father, had been a, a farmer and a stonemason. He died when the boy was only four years old, and this young man's formal education ended after the fifth grade. His mother struggled to support the nine children that were a part of this family, and they fell into very dire financial straits, and it said that sadly the creditors took everything, even the firewood that they had stashed. They, she ended up sending some of them off to work for room and board because she just couldn't handle all of their expenses. It's been said that the family was so poor that the mother took the children. When she took them to church, she made them take their shoes and their socks off, hold them as they walked to church, only letting them put them on their feet when they got to church because she was afraid that them wearing the socks and shoes to church would wear them out. The young man decided to leave home at the age of 17 to go find a job in Boston to which he was very unsuccessful at being able to find work. So he asked his uncle, the owner of the store, uh, the store that uh, Mr. Kimball went to visit, he asked him if, I could, if he would give him a job. And his uncle, his own uncle, was reluctant to give this young man a job because of his own work ethic and the things that he had done before. So he decided that he would, but there would be a condition placed on him being able to have this job. And the condition was that he had to, to keep the man out of um, mischief. He had to be able to, to, he had to go, agree to go to church every Sunday at the church where his uncle attended. And that young boy, because of the condition his uncle placed on him, was in the class of Mr. Edward Kimball. It was there in the shoe store stockroom where Mr. Kimball told the young man about the love of Christ personally. Shortly thereafter, this young man accepted the love of God, and he devoted his life in serving others. Who was this young man that Mr. Kimball would lead to the Lord? His name was D.L. Moody. And according, according to Moody's memoir, Edward Kimball had this to say about him, his Sunday school teacher. I can truly say in, in saying that, it, that I magnify the infinite grace of God as bestowed upon him. 
that I've seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than was his when he came into my Sunday school class. And I think the committee of the Mount Vernon Church seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely to become a Christian of clear and decided views of the gospel truth, still less to fill an extended sphere of public usefulness. How would you like to have that said about you? Not too good. You see, Moody wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. He wanted to join the church, and they had the membership classes that he had to go in through, but he failed the membership class. How do you do that? <laughs> Finally, the second year, he, they let him join, even though he was incredibly, what well, it was described as illiterate. Moody once spoke at the church after his talk when was approached by two men, one a deacon, and he said, I think you could best serve God by remaining silent for the rest of your life. <laughs> Interesting. I'm glad I don't have deacons that do that. I've got some that are close, but not quite that bad. The other one said, you have bad grammar, D.L. Moody said. I notice you have good grammar. Yes, I do, the man replied. What are you doing for God? Interesting, isn't it? But this pretty much what some thought was an illiterate and a nobody actually became a man who would speak to over. Listen to this. Remember, it's the 1800s that this man throughout his lifetime would speak to over 100 million people about Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? It said at the Chicago World's Exhibition in 1893, in a single day, over 130,000 people attended evangelistic meetings coordinated by Moody himself. This nobody was arguably one of the greatest influencers for Christ in the 19th century. It's been said, and you may have heard this, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. And here's God that he used a Sunday school teacher who probably was considered, in most cases, uh, on the big scheme of church history, a, a nobody, to lead a man to Christ who in turn told millions of people about Jesus. There are probably some so-called nobodies that have meant so much to us in our spiritual lives. People that sometimes we don't fully appreciate how they have come alongside us and invested in us knowing who Jesus is. I'm just thinking, remember those vacation Bible school teachers maybe that you had when you were a kid? Some that you may not have liked very much and what about uh, that uh, you still remember this day because of what they did? I specifically remember a man, and Judy Blankenship will know who this is, Mr. Walter Lawrence. Mr. Lawrence taught my class in the Brush Creek Baptist Church. A, a painter, a man who, who uh, was also a small farmer, but he invested in those boys, our, my, my life, in, in that Sunday school class year after year after year. One of the amazing things I remember about him, 
I, I don't remember a whole lot of his lessons, but I just know he was faithful in doing it. But I remember one day there was a red wasp that was flying in the window of that, that, that classroom, and Mr. Lawrence took his thumb over there and just crushed that red wasp. I remember that to this day. Now, I never tried that and never will try it, but, man, that impressed me. Do you have someone like that? I'm not talking about who crushed wasps. But who invested in your life, who came alongside you and told you about Jesus, helped you build the foundation of your faith. A lot of teachers have done that in their lives. They may have done simple things, maybe not just teachers, people that maybe just took time to run stuff off on the copper machine or cut out figures or maybe got glue and crayons together maybe uh, just took time to give you a snack and provide something but they were consistent in their mission that God gave them to do and sometimes we just think that's just a, such a little thing a nobody but the result of what they have done planted seeds in the hearts of people through the years and that job that they did counted for really something great in your life and for the kingdom of God and if you look back at scripture you'll find similar stories of people that were pretty much considered nobodies that God used this mainly, this mainly because God looks, you know, see, God doesn't look on how great a person is on the outside. You've heard this. God looks on the capabilities of the person on the inside. What do they believe and how serious about their relationship? He often uses pretty much nobodies to carry out his plan. And when he does, he equips them for his work. You may be sitting there thinking, well, I, I, I can't do anything for God. Well, I would tell you this. If God calls you to do something, He's going to equip you to do it. And it doesn't have to be some fantastic major job in the church to do it. It could be something very simple as providing snacks for kids when vacation Bible school or some other thing. He's going to equip you to do it. Look at the life of Moses, for instance. Let's kind of begin as we look at, I think, three different people. Uh, and we're going to see how what people that were considered basically nobodies early on that God turned into a, a, a really a huge somebody. Here's the backstory about Moses. He was born a Hebrew, but was saved from the massacre of children. He was raised in Pharaoh's court. You know all this, but just to kind of get an understanding of this, he, he gave in to his true heritage and he defended his people, but he ran away from Egypt and got married and settled down. And be, became what? A shepherd. A nobody. And he struggles with the ability to speak. He has difficulty. And then one day he sees a strange sight, a burning bush. And a voice comes out of the bush. And it was God. He wanted Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And what does Moses do? He says, hey, they won't believe me. 
Moses uh, is just trying in his attempt to, to keep from going, and, and this is where the Lord first mentions this, you go and do this. You know, you're going to be doing an incredible work. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, I'm just going to read some, some um, picked out verses of going not through the whole story, but verse 2 says this. Then the Lord said to him, What is it that is in your hand? A staff, he replied. Now, shepherds had these tools. We know this. And this, uh, they had had them ever since they had started shepherding. They weren't fancy, usually made of some sturdy wood and used to help drive the sheep or help chase away uh, uh, predators that were coming to harm the sheep. And the shepherd used them often to help them walk up steep hills or rocky surfaces they, and roads. They, they didn't seem like very much of a, a tool. But here's God saying, hey, what is it you have in your hand, Moses? And Moses says, I have this, I have this stick. And so we have this shepherd that God is saying, I want to use you to go up to, against this incredible force, this ruler, this, this very evil person. I want you to go up against him with a stick. The Lord said... Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. I would too, right? Yeah. No, I'm not sticking around. Then the Lord said, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Think of the faith that that took. You know? So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe the Lord, that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. <clears throat> then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And so Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, his skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back in his cloak. When he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if, you, if, they don't, if they do not believe you or pay attention to you, the first sign, they may believe the second. <clears throat> but if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Then Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Watch this. What's he about to do? Same thing we do often when God's telling us to do something. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, I don't know about you, but up to that verse there, God is doing some incredible acts to equip Moses to get him ready to do what he's called him to do. You can imagine Moses' reaction to this transformation that's taking place. It must have been a mighty work, pretty astounding to see this happen. Later on in Exodus chapter 7, we read that about Moses and Aaron going to see Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle... 
Then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it on down before Pharaoh, and what's going to happen? It will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down on, in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers and said, Hey, that's no big deal. I got men that can do that. And the Egyptian musicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. Each one of them threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff, what did it do? Swallowed up their staffs. It ate their snakes. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard. Now, just get that for a second. Here's a man just saw some incredible stuff that God did. And yet the Bible says, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. Now, I, I, I just, let me just go back because this, this is not in my notes. This, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going off on this, all right? I just think about what Kent Ford just lived through back in January and, and how God rescued him from that now we saw in the interview that Kent responds in a way that says wow God saved my life it's changing who I am today but can you imagine God saving Kent's life and Kent just says well man I just wasn't I lucky to survive COVID? Just was in the cards, I guess, for me to be well. That, to me, is hardening your heart. And yet, we seem to do that all the time, don't we? Failing to recognize God does incredible feats in our lives on a daily basis the fact that you're living and breathing is because God wills it to happen amen it's very much true the fact that you live where you do is because of God's grace or you have a home I mean anything we have all that we have that we think is ours it belongs to God and the only reason that we have it is because God allows us to have it so I could just throw this in there too while I'm at it. So why do we have such a hard time giving it up to him? Right? Here, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Yet, we see that God becomes triumphal, at least for a moment. You know how long it took Pharaoh to let the people go, and eventually he changes his mind. And that's where we, next, uh, where we next catch a glimpse of the simple, of what, how God acts. If you go to Exodus 14, verse 16, it says, Raise your stra st staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Once again, here's God equipping Moses with a stick to carry out his plan. And the one that he accomplished in verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that, ni that night 
The Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through on the sea, uh, the sea on dry land with a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on their left. That staff that seemed so small in the beginning, in the hand that God of a man who God was, who said, I will do what you want me to do, God, became so powerful, a powerful instrument in the hands of this nobody that God sent. Now let's take a look at another nobody that God uses. In this way, a big way. This man has an incredible story. We find our next story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here we see the story of David and Goliath. Of course, I don't need to report all that to you, repeat it to you. You know the story. The Israelites were afraid of this giant. And David appears on the scene and his brothers, uh, to find his brothers and if they were okay or not. And he heard the slanderous insults and remarks by Goliath that he's making and he just couldn't stand it. And what does he do? He says, I'll fight him. Say what, said the Israelites, or words to that effect. Who do you think you are to go up against this man? But he convinces Saul to let him go into battle, and he refused to wear the armor of Saul. So David goes into battle with his staff, there's that rod again, and with his bag. And in the bag was his only weapon, a sling. And along the way, he stops and he picks up five stones, puts them in his bag. You remember the song? Only a boy named David. I don't know. I can't sing. I can't remember the tune because it's different when I was listening to it than the one I remember. I can't even remember the one that was sent, but it goes like this. Only a little boy named David, only a little sling, only a boy named David, but he could pray and sing. Only a boy named... Can anybody sing this? Anybody at all? Y'all remember? Round and round and round and round he went, and I'll get the dancing here pretty soon. Round and round. Yeah. I know I can't dance. But he swung that sling round and round, and a stone went up in the air. And what happened? We used to do it this way. And the giant came tumbling down, right? Remember? That hurt my knees. <laughs> it didn't hurt so much when I was little doing it. I don't know if it's age or weight, but at any rate. Great lessons here for us. First, David was this small boy, a shepherd boy, basically a nothing, certainly not a soldier. Second, David's only weapon was a low-tech type of device. Seemed no match for the armor and the weapons that Goliath had. And third... What he picked up along the way were just these five small stones that placed in the hands of the man that God, the boy that God was using, became a powerful weapon. And what was it that David had as he was, this nobody was standing up against this giant? He had faith that God was going to be with him and the courage to go through the battle. 
that nothing of a boy and nothing of a weapon counted for a lot in the battle against the Philistines that tipped the scales of the Israelites in their favor. Why? Because God equipped David. The British Christian missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, says this, Many Christians estimate difficulties in the light of their own resources, and thus attempt little, and often fail in the little they attempt. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on His power and presence with them. Now let's look at one more biblical example. It too is the story of a young boy. He's so nobody that we don't even know his name. The Bible doesn't record it. Certainly a nobody for sure. Can you imagine the event of the day that this boy was preparing for? He, he's gotten up in the morning, and for some reason he decides he's going to go out and, to where Jesus is. Maybe he just happens along the way, and there's this big crowd. He says, what's going on? I need to go see what's happening. Or, or maybe he had heard about Jesus and heard that he was speaking somewhere. And whatever reason, he gets up, and he fixes his lunch... And he goes out there to see what's happening. Whatever motivated him, he becomes part of an incredible story and a story that affects his life. He surely had one to tell. And Jesus says, hey, the people are hungry. Where will we buy food to feed them? Well, it's going to take a lot of money, Philip says. And Andrew, a sharp-eyed man that he is, he, he spies this young boy out there sitting there maybe getting ready to eat his lunch. And he goes and he grabs up the boy. And the boy, I'm thinking, is wondering, what in the world's happening? He grabs up his, his, his bag of goodies and he, he takes him to Jesus. And it's discovered that the boy has five barley loaves and two fishes. And, and Andrew says, well, this is what we've been able to find. Maybe he sounds a little hopeful or maybe not, but he says... But what are we going to do with all this? Because there's, people are so many. You know what they had really failed to do at this point in time? Realize who they were talking to. It was Jesus, God's Son, who has the ability to do incredible things in the life of someone who's obedient. They failed to watch this. Here's a man who specialized in doing incredible things making the impossible possible so we pick up the story in john chapter 6 verse 10 jesus said have all the people sit down there was plenty of grass in the field and they sat down about five thousand men were there and jesus then took the loaves gave thanks and distributed those to those who were seated as much as they wanted he did the same with the fish, and when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather up the pieces that are left over, and let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. When this boy lays home, I'm sure he was thinking, Well, I'll just prepare enough for me. Maybe I'll run into somebody and I can share it with a friend. I'm sure he had no idea that Jesus was going to include him in this story with that small lunch and take it and prepare a feast out of it for thousands of people. Now, let's kind of look at the boy for a minute. There's nothing. 
Let's remember that he has no name, but this no-name-nothing boy went prepared. It was adequate for him. He was ready. It fits very nicely with the, 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 the David account. You know, remember that David picked up those five smooth stones as he went to face the giant, and both of them were prepared. And the second thing that this no-name boy uh, was given on that day was a story to tell. Can you imagine the story and what he was able to say when he went back to school the next day? Hey, you wouldn't believe what took place yesterday. Man, you know, I just went out there with just a, a small uh, smidgen of, of food, and this guy was incredible. He fed thousands of people with my lunch. I'm sure as he grew up that his own kids would say, Hey, Dad. Tell us about the man who got your lunch that day and fed all the people. Or maybe when they would invite their friends over and they heard what had happened with this little boy, they would say, tell us about that time when that disciple, what, what, what was his name? Uh, yeah, Andrew, tell about when he took your lunch and, and gave it to that other guy. Tell us about that. I don't know. I'm sure probably he went this way. The grandkids would say, hey, Gramps. Can you tell us that story again? And if it's like my kids, they would say, oh, no, here we go again. Yeah. We've heard it a thousand times, but the grandkids wanted to hear it. It didn't matter how many times they heard it. Jesus became part of his story. And what a unique story he had, guess what, that we still tell today. As I was researching the life of D.L. Moody, I discovered something I did not know about a connection that he had with Middle Tennessee. You see, Mo Moody was ministered to, he ministered to soldiers during the American Civil War. And he was at both the Battle of Shiloh, down around Savannah, and the Battle at Stones River. He wrote about this. After the Battle of Murfreesboro in the Civil War, I, I was stationed in the hospital. For two nights, I had been unable, unable to get any rest. And being really worn out, on the third night, I had laid down to sleep. About midnight, I was called to see a wounded soldier who was very low. At first, I tried to put the messenger off. But he told me that if I waited, it might be too late in the morning. I went to the ward where I had been directed and found the man who had sent for me. I shall never forget his face as I saw it in that night in the dim, uncertain candlelight. I asked him what I could do for him, and he said he wanted me to help him die. I told him that I would, hear, I would bury him in my arms into the kingdom of God if I could, but I couldn't. And then I tried to preach the gospel. He only shook his head and said, He can't save me. I have sinned all my life. My thoughts went back to his loved ones in the north, and I thought that even then his mother might be praying for her boy. I repeated the promise after promise and prayed with the dying man, but nothing I said seemed to help him. Then I said I wanted to read to him an account of an interview which Christ had one night while here on earth and 
with a man who was anxious about his eternal welfare. And I read the third chapter of John, how Nicodemus came to the master. And I read on, his eyes became riveted upon me, and he seemed to drink in every syllable. And when I came to the words, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He stopped and me and asked, is that there? Yes, I said. Well, he said, I, I never knew that was in the Bible. Read it again. Leaning on his elbows on the side of the cot, he brought his hands together in a firm grasp, and when I finished, he exclaimed, That's good. Won't you read it again? And slowly I repeated the passage a third time, and when I finished, I saw his eyes were closed. And the troubled expression on his face had given way to a peaceful smile. His lips moved, and I bent over him to catch what he was saying. And I heard in a faint whisper, As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He opened his eyes and said, That's enough. Don't read any more. Early the next morning, I again came to his cot, but it was empty. The attendant in charge told me that the young man had died peacefully and said that after my visit, he had rested quietly, repeating to himself now and then that glorious proclamation, Whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That whosoever allows you and me to become a somebody in the body of Christ. You see, with God, nobody is a nobody. Right? If we have Jesus, we all have an incredible story. We're known by God, and everyone is important. You may not think that your story is not all that significant, not much in the grand scheme of things, but you would be mistaken. You're part of a story. You're part of God's story. And God has given each of us who are part of His story a, tell that, a story that we can tell others that may impact their lives. Kent's story includes a near-death experience, and God miraculously saved his life. Do you know what? The reality of it is, for all of us, we've all had, or we have now, a near-death experience. It's called sin. And we're either still living in that death status or we have been saved by Jesus Christ. Which are you? Would you pray with me, please?
Heavenly Father, I'm just grateful that we have the opportunity to be a part of God's story, a part of your story, part of the story that started thousands and thousands of years ago where you intervened after what you created sinned. And yet you said, I love you so much that I still want to do something to affect your story. And then years later, you would send Jesus, who would give us a way to overcome death, the separation away from you, that chasm of sin that exists, and that Jesus became our path back to you. I'm grateful that we can be part of, we can have him as a part of our story. And I pray, Father, that right now, if there's someone here that's yet to say, I want him part of my story, I want him part of my life. I don't want to be separated anymore. I, I, I've got sin in my life that's never been forgiven, and, and I want to overcome this, this chasm that exists between me and you, God. That right now, they would say, can I have Jesus part of my story? And the resounding answer would be yes. Just invite him into your heart. Ask for forgiveness of your sin. Believe that he came to set you free from sin. And I pray for the rest of us who've done that already, that we would just today take a look at our own individual stories and we would be grateful of how Jesus has intervened in that and given us life and hope and an eternal destiny in the kingdom of God. May we so appreciate it that we're not ashamed to tell our stories to others. If you're here today and you need to make a decision for Christ, then this altar is going to be open for you to come and pray or come and speak with me or pray with me. And if God's leading you to do something today, just don't pass this opportunity up to take this, make this a, a chapter in your life story of what you do today as we stand and as we sing. Your love is devoted like a ring of solid gold like a vow that is tested like a covenant of old your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon with mercy for today and faithful you have been Faithful you will be, you pledge yourself to me, and that's why I sing. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your Your praise will ever be.
father the orphan Your kindness makes us whole Your shoulder our weakness And your strength becomes our own You're making me like you Clothing me in white Bringing beauty for ashes continue this series we're gonna unless the Lord says otherwise in fact he did say otherwise uh, I was planning on preaching about uh, Korah did you y'all know who Korah is in the Bible I'm gonna preach on that next Sunday I was planning on doing it today and things just changed to where we switched up and did this so I want to tell you that Korah's life is not like so far the Stories from the Bible of these obscure people, not so obscure in today's folks. Uh, Korah is not a good guy. Okay, all the rest of them have been pretty good people, but Korah is not. So I'm hoping that you'll be here next week as we talk about Korah's rebellion. Okay, uh, we have announcements? We have a few. We have a few. A couple of things I want to bring to your attention. First of all, thank you for uh, the way you all have responded for our Thanksgiving food drive. Uh, man, we are building a mountain out there that I promise you is going to be a blessing to some families here in this community and surrounding communities. So continue to uh, bring your Thanksgiving food that's going to uh, be a part of our food drive. Also, this coming Friday, Friday Friends will be meeting. And uh, so if you haven't been a part of that, we invite you to come and join them. A uh, really great time with Friday Friends, 11 o'clock. If you have been a part of it, then you know how awesome it is, and I know that you'll be here. So that'll be happening on Friday. And ladies, we appreciate you heading up our food 
drive for Thanksgiving also. No men's breakfast this Saturday. Uh, so if you uh, have that on your calendar, your reoccurring calendar, uh, mark that off. That's not going to happen this week. We do have a soup and share coming up on Thursday uh, at 6.30. All ladies, uh, come on in for a cozy night of building friendships in the foyer. Man, that sounds like a Hallmark card right there. And uh, so come on in and bring your favorite soup, bread, dessert. It's just going to be a wonderful time of fellowship. And I encourage you to come and be a part of that. Um, one last thing, too, I want to mention here. Um, if you are here in our ladies' ministry and you've been a part of the favorite things, will you stand? All the ladies have been a part of favorite things at some point in time. There you go. There's quite a few ladies. Stay standing just for a moment. Ladies, if you have not been a part of this, please see one of these ladies. It's a really fun event that's going to happen December the 1st. At 6.30, you can bring three of your favorite things to share, three of one item, favorite things to share. And uh, so any of these ladies that were standing, please see them. And then um, I have a bone to pick with somebody. Wait a minute. I'm okay. going to tell you, my wife is going to be bringing one of her favorite things. I'll be there that night because uh, I'll be one of her. Well, unless she's, unless she's Mormon, we've got just saying. You're supposed to share. I mean, she's only got one favorite thing there. there. Well, I don't know what the other two are. But. Or maybe uh, I should say, I don't know who the other two yeah, are. Maybe, or I don't know. They give it away? They give no. it away. Yeah, she might bring you. I don't know. <laughs> she might bring you. You should say, you got a bone to pick with somebody. I've got a bone to pick with you after this. <laughs> be, be a, there, yes, is there is a lot of cackling. I won't be here that night. Yeah. No, no I, um, I encourage you. I had just the best time Friday evening um, at the Knights uh, game. If you have not come out uh, to the Knights to game and, and supported our night, they are undefeated, uh, our football team. We've got several players here that were on the field representing from our church. And uh, so I encourage you, this coming Friday, this is round two of the playoffs, and it's going to be at home. So it's going to be, I think, against White County. So, White, uh, White, County. White County. White County. The bone to pick is, I will tell you, after the event, uh, Stacy Collette posted a picture, and I was driving down the road, and uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna post the picture up here because, because I was driving down the road, and I literally had so many tears come down my eyes, I had to pull off and pull myself together before I could reach my destination. If you're not friends with Stacy, uh, it's an awesome picture that she posted, that was a pregame picture. So I encourage you. Uh, to go check that out. I'm checking it out right now. Check okay. it out. Awesome picture. Uh, just a couple of announcements that I need to make. Also, there will be a deacons meeting at 7:30 uh, this coming Wednesday night. Deacons meeting. Please be here for a very important meeting. It's coming Wednesday night. And also pray for our staff. We will be leaving today, this afternoon, to go to Standing Stone, not Standing Stone, Rock Island State Park, for a staff retreat planning for uh, next year. And uh, you'll be hearing more about that very soon, actually. So just pray for us over the next uh, three days. We'll be back Tuesday night uh, as, as we're kind of planning as to what God is leading us as a staff to lead our church in the year. What's next year? 2023. Goodness gracious. It's we, funny. When Mike and I were talking about this, we said, we're going to go to Rock Island, but let's tell Steve we're going to Standing <laughs> Stone. So. <laughs> You called on to it. You, you just keep on, and there's going to be one less, one less staff member at this staff retreat. Y'all could take this on the road, you know. Would you please stand? <laughs>
Stand as we close in worship. Thank you guys for being here. Lord, we thank you, God, for reminding us, God, that we um, don't have to be somebody in the world's eyes to be a somebody to you, God. And God, that you use the least of us to accomplish the greatest of, of things. And God, so we're just encouraged by that. Lord, as we go out into our community and, and on the mission field, God, we thank you for using us, God, just as vessels, and, uh, Lord, in everything that we do. God, I just pray that we'd be a reflection of your love. We love you and be with us this week as we uh, go about our way and, and on the mission field and do everything that we do, that we draw others to you. We love you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of our pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. Let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us. And he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.